Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Outsource Podcast. And uh, today I'm joined by Caleb. Hello. And my good friend John. Hi everyone. Am I not your good friend? <laughs> uh, subjective. Anyways. Oh, okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, welcome back to another episode and... This episode is one that I've been waiting to do for a really long time now, and it's something that I'm really passionate about and very excited to share with you guys, and I'm glad that I have Caleb and John accompanying me as we um, delve into this episode, and uh, today we're going to be talking about healthcare, and we're, we're going to try our best to cover as many elements of the field of healthcare, and uh you know, it's it's such a uh, diverse field with so many different things to talk about that I feel like, uh, you know, coming up with a single question to sort of um, uh, encapsulate everything that we're going to talk about today is really difficult. So for the purposes of this episode, I'm just going to, you know, take each topic as it comes and then we're going to have a discussion about it, have a conversation about it and see where it goes. So... With that out of the way, I think a really good place to sort of begin this discussion would be to talk about the defining philosophy of healthcare. So what exactly is the defining philosophy of healthcare? Is it appropriate to this day and has it evolved over time? Um, Caleb, John, any thoughts? Um, it's probably pretty different depending on depending on which part of the world you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because certainly uh, Western medicine has uh, sort of taken over the world um, in a general sense, right? Um, yeah. In the... Um, but but still, things like uh, um, Eastern cultural influence on uh, perceptions of healthcare um, I still have a very strong influence in countries, uh, for example, in East Asia, right? Right. Can um, I ask that when when you're asking about defining the philosophy of healthcare, um, mm-hmm. what is the scope of healthcare are you referring to, or just in general? Mm, well, I, um, like, what does that mean? What do you, what yeah, do you mean when you say I, that word? Yeah, I see your point. Um, I, I guess if I were to just ask you what you think um, the sort of the core, the, the innate philosophy of healthcare in general is, what would be your sort of um, the first thing that comes into your mind? You know, uh, is it something to do with compassion? Is it something to do uh, with the duty of us as human beings uh, to other human beings? That sort of thing. Well, I think like in the most broadest, generalist perspective of healthcare, right? What is the fundamental thing that you're doing? Like, is it that you're taking care of your community? Is it the compassion aspect? I think that all of those things can play into different definitions of healthcare. And so 
if you are trying to define healthcare as like the the modern concept of what healthcare is, then obviously those values are not present in it. But if you're talking about like a uh, a town doctor or you know a local clinic or some kind of regional based thing, um, then that's a completely different philosophy. That's a completely different approach to to what health is, right? Right, right. Well, when I really like the point you brought about um, about healthcare in modern society and how it differs from, you know, like say a, a small town doctor, and you know, just sort of going off of that, I think, in in my opinion, if you were to sort of define uh, the philosophy of healthcare. Obviously, when healthcare as a concept, uh, or you know, as a concept, when it originated, it sort of came about because there was a sort of need to treat people, a sort of um, need that was fueled by compassion. And obviously, this is an a very idealistic, sort of optimistic perspective, where you know your assuming that people act out in the best interests of other people. And this may not always be the case, especially today. But in my opinion, when healthcare as as a concept originated, it was out of compassion. And that's sort of what drove people to help other people. Now, I guess it would be appropriate to sort of talk about how, you know, you know, whether this philosophy still applies to this day. And when I think about it, um, and I try to apply the same sort of perspective uh, to whatever is going on right now in, uh, in modern healthcare, it's almost difficult to say, you know, the same thing. It's almost difficult to say that compassion is what fuels us to, you know, be doctors or nurses or, you know, healthcare workers. And I guess it would be appropriate to talk about how the social perspective, uh, you know, this, the social perspectives of healthcare workers sort of plays into this philosophy. Because you know we're going from talking about compassion to you know people sort of pursuing jobs in healthcare because they might be interested in the benefits that sort of brings them. Um, so hopefully during this episode, we get to explore that and, you know, talk about that in, in greater detail, but I thought that it would be a really good way to sort of approach this episode by, um, you know, thinking a little bit about what the philosophy of healthcare might be and whether or not it is appropriate to this day, but we'll definitely come back to this. Well, before we, we continue, can I ask in this, um, in some of the things that you were mentioning, uh, like the doctors and nurses and, and AIDS and those kinds of things, um, yeah. when when you say healthcare and for the rest of this episode, when we're talking about healthcare, are these the kind of people that we are referring to? Because the healthcare now, it, you know, is much greater than just the doctors and the nurses. It's the insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, uh, medical technology, right? So hospitals. all of that is, right, hospitals, all of that is yeah. still essential yeah, to 
the health care, right? Mm-hmm. But are you, for the purpose of some of this discussion, are you referring specifically to doctors and nurses who I guess are deemed frontline healthcare workers or whatever? Yeah, um, I guess for the purposes of this episode, when I refer to the term healthcare, I'd be referring to sort of primary healthcare. So, as you said, you know, this would include your frontline healthcare workers, because obviously the the things you mentioned about hospitals and you know healthcare companies and pharmaceutical companies, they are absolutely very important, and they also deserve um, you know discourse about them, but. I'm not 100% sure if we're going to be able to fit all of that within this episode. So just for the purposes of today's episode, when I refer to healthcare, we'll be talking about, you know, primary healthcare and your frontline workers. All right, cool. Anyways, uh, moving on, I think it would be sort of interesting to talk about um, the evolution of healthcare with time and what it might look like in the future so you know how how is the role of healthcare professionals evolved over time and you know what sort of perspectives have you know how how, how have the perspectives that are associated with healthcare workers evolved and you know obviously you could look at the history of you know how uh, doctors nurses, healthcare workers, um, and all, all sort of people involved in the field of healthcare. But instead of really um, you know, delving into specific parts of the history, we, I think it would just be interesting to sort of think about the scope of healthcare and what exactly it means in today's society and what it meant in the past and what exactly it's you know what's what's going to happen with it uh in the future so in the past we had um you know barber surgeons these were in the middle ages when you had uh people who would not only be sort of qualified to do things that physicians would do which would involve bloodletting and surgical operations but these guys would cut hair as well um and you you've also got plague doctors who you know, they're sort of popular figures in uh, healthcare, um, in pop culture as well, where you have guys, you know, donning their capes and their gown and the, and the, the famous plague doctor mask. And funnily enough, most plague doctors weren't even trained as doctors. They were just um, sort of people who were hired by the governments to make sure um, they, they, they were made mainly used for calculating the, the death toll much rather than treating people and then you know coming from that you sort of transition into modern healthcare uh, it's a big jump obviously but i'm not going to talk about each and every evolution but you have modern uh, you, your modern physician who uh, not only does the job of treating patients but um sort of takes a holistic approach to healthcare so this this doesn't just mean um, treating a disease that a patient may have, but it also may involve um, helping the patient out with elements of his or her life that could be potentially uh, affected as a result of this disease. So, you know, for example, if a patient comes in 
and maybe he has, uh, say, uh, cancer. And, you know, as, as, as a doctor in, in the modern day, you would definitely uh, do your best to help him out with his condition, which in this case is cancer. But you would also do your best to sort of help him adjust to life with cancer and we'll do things to make sure that he's living as well as he can and take the most holistic approach to his life. So that's definitely something uh, that is very different from the past where you would have doctors who would solely be concerned about the disease you were suffering from and provide you with the treatment. And if that didn't work out, they tried another treatment. But nowadays it's much more of a holistic approach. Yeah, and um, more recently, you've uh, you've got uh, your COVID nineteen frontliners, so you know people who were um, sort of trained to deal with the COVID nineteen pandemic. And although we have dealt with uh, pandemics in the past, um, such as SARS and MERS, the COVID nineteen pandemic was uh, something that was definitely unexpected, but also provided new challenges to healthcare workers. And you could see, you know, newer roles popping up within the healthcare industry, such as vaccinators and um, doctors specifically trained to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. And when it comes to the future, um, you know, it's obviously not going to be possible for us to predict what exactly is going to happen with the healthcare industry, but there are, uh, you know, there are talks about automated healthcare delivery and um, the use of robotics in healthcare. So, uh, you know, robotics in surgery and a lot of possible options that are yet to be explored, but just by talking about sort of all of these things and all of these roles that I've mentioned, it's it's almost insane to think how far we've come as a species when it comes to healthcare and healthcare delivery. And what what, what I really want to do over here is to sort of let people appreciate um, the the sort of the depth of uh, the way we've evolved, um, you know, not just as a species, but as, um, you know, health, but as before healthcare as a concept, you know, it's evolved from just treating people to making sure uh, you provide a sort of holistic way of living life. And I think um, this is sort of an it's not the easiest concept to discuss because obviously it's very subjective and people are going to have different opinions about it. But at the end of the day, if you can appreciate how far we've come, um, you know, all the way from uh, using leeches to treat uh, certain illnesses, which we still do today um, in some cases, to literally having a robot operate on a grape on something that small uh, with such precision. It's absolutely insane and it's mind blowing, and I just hope that whoever's listening to this sort of can appreciate that and understand that. But anyways, um, I think something that would be really interesting to talk about, especially because we've got people 
from different places over here um, on, on on the Outdoor Podcast with different perspectives. I think uh, an early interesting topic would be perceptions towards healthcare professionals in our society. So um, I'm sure we can give you sort of different perspectives stemming from the UK, the US, and Singapore. Uh, and I was just curious as to what sort of you know, what are the sort of perspective, uh, what, what are the sort of perceptions people um, have towards healthcare workers in the U.S. over Canada? Um, I think right before we go to there, I have something to say in terms of the evolution of uh, healthcare. I think for me, um, there are a couple points. First is that there, there has to be some kind of acknowledgement um, that the healthcare or perceptions of healthcare that people are familiar with uh, in English-speaking countries is different than in non-English-speaking countries. Um, specifically, that like quote-unquote Eastern medicine, Chinese traditional um, medicine, and healthcare is the philosophy is very different and the approach to um, the body is very different compared to you know contemporary Western and even historical Western approaches to healthcare. So there's not like a one size fit all in terms of the evolution of healthcare. It's it's you know it's not linear in that regard. Um, I think one interesting point that you made is that like you know now uh, doctors are looking at things in a more holistic manner and I, I do agree with that um, but I think also there's a caveat in that they are looking at things in a more holistic manner nowadays than they were maybe a hundred years ago or 50 years ago but at the same time there are some aspects um, that have been lost and I really do see this as a product of the enlightenment era um, and the increasing trend towards specialization because originally in the study of medicine and the study of the body it, you know like these scientists were not just scientists these people were not just doctors because medicine and the human body was intertwined with things like philosophy with morals with ethics right um right right with things that are metaphysical so in a way even though um and, and regardless of, you know, whether or not those things uh, were true or not, there is something that has been lost in modern healthcare and in modern, um, you know, like doctors and nurses in that the approach is almost exclusively scientific, right? And it's, and going to that holistic aspect, it's only up until recently that people are, are understanding that only looking at the body in and of itself, you know, like your blood pressure or your um, different things that are quantifiable on like a chart, these things are not the end all be all in healthcare. Um, and so things like uh, I know in hospitals uh, that they try to change the colors of the nursing gowns and the colors of the wards in order to try to uh, improve the living conditions or the staying conditions of these people that has nothing to do with their blood pressure per se in regard to whatever they're being treated for but 
these things that are seen as not quote-unquote scientific not part of like you don't necessarily learn that in medical school these things are being considered now that they were ignored previously Mm -hmm. right I'm, i'm actually really glad that you um brought up the point about you know healthcare and how it differs in different places because i completely you know flew over that and i sort of just took a western approach to healthcare when i was discussing it but i'm really glad that you brought it up because obviously um different countries different regions of the world are going to have uh different perspectives towards healthcare and as a result there are the the way healthcare has evolved in different regions is also going to be extremely different from one another and it is important that we learn how to appreciate um the the differences because you know even though we might take different ways in approaching healthcare at the end of the day our goal is to provide the best care for those who need it um but as you said um i really like the point about how um you know healthcare even though it's evolved and uh we've had people looking at it uh sorry healthcare professionals looking at it in a more holistic manner we've also lost the meaning um as a result of specialization and that's a really good point that you brought up so back to perceptions towards healthcare professionals in society so Caleb and John what 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 is the sort of general uh you know perception or the, the general opinion people have about healthcare workers and this includes doctors nurses and other healthcare assistants in the US like per- perceptions in terms of our societal per- perceptions of these people and their roles yeah correct yeah i think it's generally positive i think that mm-hmm. the I think as much as people do complain about the healthcare industry, um, people perceive these roles, these occupations as positive. Um, their portrayal in media is typically positive. Even their negative portrayal in media is always, um, there's always a disclaimer that's attached to it that's not indicative of the entire pool of doctors or whomever you know um Mm -hmm. because i think that within our society there is this kind of underlying assumption that's being pushed that doctors and nurses and healthcare are inherent goods and as a result Mm. this perception you know the portrayals of it the way that we talk about it um is a reflection of that assumption um and in contrast that to to maybe like construction workers in which they are as much essential to a society as as doctors but the portrayal of it the discussion of it the all of those things are not necessarily as number one felt strongly as and number two as positive as the healthcare industry and workers like doctors and nurses also just really quickly um in the US do you have do you have the case where healthcare workers are sort of seen as well they're given 
high respect and if you were to place them um, on a social hierarchy they would be you know almost at the top and they're almost put on a pedestal almost is that the case in the US no I don't think so no I think so that you... they're I think that they are put on the same level as the law profession as okay being as being generally well regarded but also viewed with yeah. a level of suspicion and distrust um, really yeah I think it's it, I think it really depends on going back to kind of like the definition if we're talking about the healthcare industry then there's a huge negative perception of that but maybe right, of right. the doctors themselves like it's not like they're they're held as like the highest highest regard um but i do think that there's a little more positive in terms of like a doctor someone says they're a general practitioner or surgeon or something like that there's not like an air of well you know you're like a you're a soulless person who's dedicated your life to the healthcare industry yeah i mean, i mm-hmm. think it, it really depends it's sort of hard to say what the general perception i mean general perception yeah i mean there's i'll, I'll probably stand by what i said before i mean just because yeah. just because um especially anyone who is a who has like the degree of medical doctor like they generally make so much money um and i think that mm-hmm. especially i think that we're at sort of a time in america where uh that would sort of naturally cast a layer of suspicion on on what right, right. on what you do right i think it's uh quite interesting that you say that because from what i know in the UK, um, first of all, to address the pay, because um, the UK has its own healthcare system that's free to be used by the citizens of the UK, which is the NHS. And obviously, there's a lot of criticism against the way the NHS operates. But at the end of the day, the NHS is sort of the number one um, healthcare provider in the whole of Europe. And they consistently outperform um, other European healthcare providers. But coming back uh, to the point I was going to make about pay, um, if you work for the NHS, obviously there are going to be private practices where you you know you can set up your own hospital or your own surgery, and you can sort of dictate how much people pay for your services. But if you are under the NHS, um, the pay compared to the US is definitely not that much. In fact. The doctors in the U.S. earn on on. This is obviously a generalization, but on general, you have doctors in the U.S. earning sort of almost obnoxiously more money than um, the ones in the U.K. But this brings me to my point about how people perceive them, and even though it's the case where you know um, your healthcare worker in the U.K. might be earning as much as sort of a, a, a mid-level um, corporate professional. They're almost regarded as, you know, um, really high up on the social hierarchy. So if you tell somebody that you're a doctor or a nurse, um, it's almost as if you're given, you know, a lot of respect. Um, and there's, you know, some level of admiration for what you do because people have this uh, this perception of... Um, 
these healthcare professionals being there to, you know, serve selflessly uh, and compassionately for those who require it. Um, but I think it'll also be interesting to talk about the way people perceive um, healthcare workers back back home in Singapore. I've had this discussion with you know different friends of mine, and I've I've noticed that in Asian countries, um, healthcare workers are sort of put you know like very much on a pedestal, and they're like um, in in some cases they're even sort of worshipped um, in in some places, and uh, you know whatever a, a doctor might say might might as well be considered the word of God because they are given that much respect and yeah you know because obviously um, they are sort of a representation of good health and um, care and compassion but I th- I thought it would be interesting to sort of compare and contrast uh, the differences between the way people are, uh, sorry, between the way healthcare professionals are sort of perceived um, in Western culture and Asian culture. And I think in Asian culture, it's a lot more, uh, it's sort of rooted in our culture for um, doctors to be really well-respected and, uh, you know, to be considered the sort of epitome of professionalism and, um, you know, a well-trained individual who knows what he or she is doing. Before we move on to the next topic, um, in your discussion of whether or not uh, doctors in Asian cultures are seen as, like, more highly regarded than in mm-hmm. Western cultures, do you feel that, like, you say that it's it's part of the culture, like, innate and as an aspect of the culture, but... Mm-hmm. What exactly are you drawing for that? Is it that it's innate as part of the culture, or is it that the Western influence um, of regarding doctors as extremely high has just melded into this like extreme reverence for doctors has melded into the Asian culture now, contemporary Asian culture post World War Two? Mm. Because, like I said, that the like at the beginning of this episode, that the way in which healthcare has conducted itself is completely different post World War Two, or actually post around nineteen oh three, because things are not regionally based, community based anymore. Because that's when you get into mm-hmm. nationally based healthcare, like the term healthcare. Otherwise, it'd just be your local doctor, right? Which is a completely different thing compared to what it is now. Right. Right. Um, well, that's a really good question, and it, personally, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure as to why um, this sort of you know this sort of uh, aspect even exists in the first place. Because I mean, obviously, I'm an Asian individual, and I've been brought up in an Asian country. Um, and I wish I could give you a, a sort of logical explanation for why that occurs. 
but this is more of an observation that I've sort of noticed after living in Asia and coming to the UK and um, sort of it's just something that pops up and I noticed it. I'm not really sure as to why it exists. I'm sure there's a, a reason for it, but do you think you know? Uh, do you think there might be one, or uh, is there is there any thoughts that you have that could possibly explain this? I I can actually share some thoughts on this subject um, because mm-hmm. uh, actually my my grandfather uh, was a I think I've talked to you guys about this, but I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast. My my grandfather was a a traditional Chinese um, like herbal doctor uh, in Singapore, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. and and of course uh, at the time he was practicing, he 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 was um, he he was like uh, well researched in both both like the herbal the the traditional herbal um, remedies and like modern science of the time, right? Because um, that was just like a normal a normal thing. Uh, but he was not, you know, educated in a Western university or like certified within like the national uh, medical, uh, you know, as a like a, a as a as a doctor, um, mm-hmm. and so when the Singaporean government uh, made it mandatory to have such a certification, um, he had to uh, close down his practice, right? But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, people would continue sort of going to him for help or for advice, um, including, you know, uh, doctors and medical students um, who were actually studying. Um, yeah. Who were actually studying, like, you know, Western Western medical practice uh, uh, because he had, you know, he had, like, a library and he had a lot of books and uh, he had a lot of knowledge on the subject, right? And so he had this role within the community um, as being someone who... You know, even if he wasn't making money from it, you know, he was someone who was willing to help the community on, you know, both in terms of their direct health care um, and in, and, mm-hmm. in, you know, uh, helping the, the medical community with uh, with study and with knowledge. Right. Um, and so right. Um, I think especially if you consider, um, you know, obviously the there's this. There's there's a large impact in how Asia sees uh, the medical field now with the introduction of Western medicine. But even before mm-hmm. that, um, there is still a cultural heritage um, where, if anything, probably the doctor has more respect uh, because of their they have a direct role within the community uh, and con- and right. connection with the members of the community, uh, as right. opposed to simply being you know someone in a white lab coat working in a hospital right mm-hmm. yeah um, uh, and so maybe to some extent uh, part of the reason Asia uh, views doctors in this way is because they are st- uh, sort of more closely connected to that historical um, that historical heritage of, uh, of uh, doctors as a, a as a community member uh, rather than just okay. a, a service provider Right, right, right. Uh, because I, and, and even in, 
you know, perhaps places where they wouldn't have been uh, well, you know, like knowledgeable doctors, uh, you would have still been able to get some level of uh, medical help from, you know, like uh, Buddhist temples and places like that, right? And so that right. um, receiving this kind of charitable help um, or or help on a community level is is something which is um, like a part of uh, East Asian history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with that being said, I also think um, the reason as to why this sort of culture exists is because doctors were like you said you know they were perceived as members of society that possessed a certain form of knowledge or possessed a specific knowledge that could aid the people in the community and as a result and and first of all the aid that was being provided was obviously you know this comes back to whatever we've said in the past um the aid was considered to be selfless and truly compassionate so when you have uh, a member of society that is providing um, you know, selfless and compassionate aid to other members of society, they're almost regarded with um, you know, a higher level of respect than most other professions. And with that being said, I think um, in Asian culture, um, doctors are almost regarded uh, with more respect than lawyers or um, you know, other, uh, other similar professions and I thought that would be interesting to bring up because we spoke about how um, in the US you know, doctors are almost perceived on the same level as lawyers on the social hierarchy but yeah um, is there anything else that uh, anyone wants to talk about before we I think really quickly um, yeah. to the point about the community member uh Mm-hmm. It's not like Western doctors throughout history have not been part of the community um, or have acted as important members of the community. But I think that within the um, within the Confucianist, I think it, it really is a Confucianist um, influence in Asian culture as a whole that the structure of society and of the community, no matter what the scale, is always based within this idea of community. Um, And so when you start scaling your cities and your towns and your villages, that even though that maybe that sense of familiarness is eventually being lost, that there's still this, um, this feeling of duty. And I think that that is unique and distinct from Western approach to community building because obviously you can see with um, small communities, religious communities, they do care for each other. They, there's a lot of familiarity. Um, people who you know, have compassion and who provide these services for the sake of the community are, are regarded highly. But as you scale these groups of people, that aspect of community is lost. And that's not necessarily because people don't care about each other um, or that they just like become heartless, but rather that within their religious understanding and just societal understanding of their duties to each other, their duties to their community, smaller community or larger community, 
um, I don't think that the influence is, is quite as impactful compared to Asian cultures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's about right. Or I guess if you know, I think I think that was a really good conversation, and um, I'm glad that we you know discussed that because um, you know obviously it I would I wouldn't say that I did not know about it, but sort of hearing it from somebody else allowed me to put things into perspective, and I'm sure it'll do that for many listeners here, and I'm sure. Um, that was a really, you know, th there were a lot of things that were said, but it's definitely going to be um, something that's going to assist us in appreciating the differences in healthcare in different cultures and the sort of importance healthcare has in different cultures. But uh, really quickly moving on to this topic that I'm quite passionate about and it's a topic that I've been you know I've, I've had discussions on with all kinds of people and it is uh, um, slightly controversial but you know it, it's a topic that needs to be talked about more and I think this would be the perfect platform to do it and it's the whole um, you know topic about doctors and nurses or more specifically doctors versus nurses I know it sounds a bit dramatic when I put it that way but Caleb and John do you have you know any thoughts about um, doctors and nurses and how they differ um, in the way they operate and whether you have any sort of you know opinions on either one of them and is there anything that you know specifically about the way they differ well in terms of um, my exposure to medicine and this is um, my experience in Western healthcare um, this model that we have of doctors and nurses and the kind of relationship between them I think um, can be traced back to the history of hospitals and clinics in America, in which a lot of churches um, took a lot of the 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 brunt effort in establishing themselves as members of the community within within health, um, and the structure of these churches, as one can expect, is that there is a um, and primarily these churches would would be Catholic churches. Um, but the overall hierarchy of these churches is that you have a, a lead priest and you have, um, you know, priests that are below that um, head priest. And then you would have sisters, right, nuns, who would do things like administrative tasks, uh, ongoing support for the, for the chapel, for the kind of services that they were offering and obviously that this hierarchy translated into the clinics 
um, in which I believe that they would have a, a person who I guess you could call like the doctor. Um, and I don't think it was necessarily that this individual had more training or necessarily knew more than the nuns or the sisters, but this person took that leadership role um, for that clinic and for that patient, whereas the sisters would, um, their efforts would be more on the continuing care of the individual um, and maintaining the clinic itself. And whether or not that's like correct or not correct or good or bad, um, you know, that's, I'm not trying to talk about that. But I think that that's, that kind of relationship is, is how the modern relationship between doctors and nurses and nurses has formed and continued. So I don't think it's like a, um, you know, like people, these doctors just taking on random aids. Um, but I think that there is a legacy in the history to this kind of relationship and hierarchy. Well, I'm really glad that John brought that up because that's essentially how hospitals um, around the world run today, where it would be absolutely inappropriate and completely wrong for you to say that nurses do not know as much as doctors or are not as well-trained as doctors, because that is not the case. In fact, it can, uh, it can often quite be the opposite, where nurses do know more than um, doctors and may have more experience in the day-to-day -day dealings with the patient. But coming back to what John said, um, the way hospitals run nowadays is that you may have you, you have a core team um, of doctors and nurses, and the doctors usually take um, the, the the leadership role where they make decisions about the stages of the treatment, um, the sort of medication that needs to be prescribed and um, how exactly the patient's um, treatment is going to progress, while nurses are more involved in dealing with sort of the day-to-day -day, uh, needs of a patient and sort of the more um, intricate details of uh, a patient's healthcare experiences. So with that being said, um, there is definitely a difference way nurses and doctors are perceived in society and I would go as far as saying the way the sort of respect that it's given to doctors and nurses is um, extremely different um, but before I sort of delve into that I would I was gonna ask you uh, both of you Caleb and John what's the sort of the perception of nurses in society versus doctors in the U.S. I think that the overall perception is that um, there is some kind of acknowledgement of this hierarchy, uh, but this hierarchy is—I mean, compared compared to what it originally was, I think this hierarchy is just like more. Uh, distinct and explicit um, with more clear boundaries, clear R boundaries than what it was in the past and what maybe it should be. Um, and that reflection translates into, um, well, if people people hear the word doctor or they hear whatever your occupation, um, 
and there's some kind of assumption that like well in in our society there's just a base assumption that like depending on what occupation you are that's how i should feel about you kind of um mm -hmm. and so when you tell someone you're a doctor they're going to feel different about you as a doctor compared to if you say someone that like you're a plumber or something like that um right. and i think that the kind of hierarchy that exists between doctors and nurses is an example of that and that i don't think anyone would be like oh nurses are terrible and that they are useless um but in terms of the reverence or the positive perception of doctors and and of course like this is also based off of incorrect assumptions about the roles of doctors and nurses and the training that that both of them require but i do think that there is an assumption that you know doctors are more highly trained that they are more competent that they you know nurses are less than doctors um again regardless of whether or not that's true i think that is the kind of perception of mm. the relationship between the two uh, roles right all right and that is absolutely the, absolutely the case in today's society where sure you know both doctors and nurses do receive respects but nurses are often almost always seen as you know in 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 a certain way inferior to doctors and this shouldn't be the case and i think it's more pronounced in um asian culture where um and i say this from personal experience obviously it's going to differ from people to people but from somebody who grew up in singapore and is now currently studying in the uk i feel like um the respect given to nurses over here is disproportionately higher than the respect given to nurses back home and you know i've i've heard of cases where you know a few of my friends we were talking about this and one of my friends said that he was talking to his um you know his parents about becoming a doctor and they said well okay um you know that's amazing and we wish you the very best and he then proceeded to say well you know, in, in the case I did not become a doctor, I, I would definitely like to become a nurse, to which his parents just went, well, you know, that's useless. Don't, why would you become a nurse? You could, it's either a doctor or something else. And uh, I personally think that it's quite sad that, you know, nurses are perceived as inferior in some cultures to doctors. And if you were a member of, or if you were a student training to become a healthcare profession, a healthcare professional, or if you were a member of the healthcare professional, you would know that you know doctors and nurses are working towards the same goal, but at the end of the day, they're two completely different roles. So you know, if someone chooses to study to become a doctor, or if someone chooses to study to become a nurse, you know, it's not just solely because um, they differ in intellect or ability, but it's because they, that's what they wanted to do. You know, it's it's different roles. It's like um, you know, comparing apples and oranges. Well, yeah, they're fruit, but they're completely different. So, oh, that was a, a pretty sick analogy. But uh, 
I think this whole um, you know perspective of um, you know nurses um, being considered inferior to doctors is quite sad. And I remember seeing this um, ad back home uh, where it, it was just a bunch of nurses and their parents, you know, talking to a camera, and um, one of the questions. Uh, that was asked to the parents was, what do you think uh, your your child does? And um, one of them that really uh, hit me was one of the parents said, oh, you basically changed the diapers of um, patients who wet themselves. Or you changed the sheets um, of patients once they soil that, you know, and you clean wounds. And Sure, I mean, there might be a few of the responsibilities of a nurse, but that sort of felt demeaning to the profession and sort of disrespectful to the the whole um, idea of, well, not only healthcare, but uh, nurses as a profession. And, you know, obviously this sort of perspective is going to continue to propagate if um, we don't do something about it. but. It uh, as it's it's our duty to make sure that we make a sort of informed, uh, well, not informed decision, but sort of have an informed opinion about this. And you can only do this after really seeing what both do, uh, both the doctors and nurses go through uh, on a daily basis and the sort of uh, grit that's required from them. So what I'm trying to say is. Um, I don't think that this whole, you know, I don't think this whole notion of doctors versus nurses should even exist because first of all, we're working together hand in hand to provide the best, um, output for the patients who require it. And secondly, um, there are two completely different roles that just so happen to, you know, lead to the same path, which is providing the best care. But anyways, um, before we move on to the next topic, um, are there any thoughts that you guys have on this? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that this perception, um, the difference in, 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 in how uh, doctors and nurses are perceived is uh, certainly not something which is specific to the medical field, um, but is actually something that you can see in, in, in many uh, professions and uh, I think that it it's pretty clear that it rises out of um, societal trends of of the of of, of uh, how people um, see the value the differing value of different professions right um, and, and specifically is being linked to uh, the relative value of, of specialization and uh, right, right. and and credentialism right so if we start with specialization, right, um, and there's this idea um, that the more specialized your job is, uh, the more value that you provide by doing that job, uh, simply because uh, there is less people who can provide uh, provide that service, right? Um, and it's this idea of like, uh, if you are a uh, you know, it's like the more the more qualified 
qualifiers that you add to your name you know it's like if you're like a biochemical electrical engineer then that's different from being like just an engineer right yeah yeah um um and and you know and that rises out of uh out of industrialism and the theories surrounding that right this idea of uh uh a comparative advantage and you know and, and being able to uh, this idea that if you can provide a service um, better than someone else can, right? As in, like you are specialized mm-hmm. towards a certain service, then it's like you mm-hmm. should do that service because you're the best at it, right? And that creates all this competition of like, oh, you need to find a, a smaller and smaller niche so that you will. Uh, so that you can do that thing even better, right? And uh, yeah. so specialization is sort of at the core of industrial society, right? And so that right. definitely feeds this concept of like uh, specialization is better than than generalization, uh, mm. right? Um, yeah. and, and that also is connected to this I- idea of credentialism, right? It's like how specialized are the credentials that you hold um in in this uh credential society where your your degree and the letters that come after your name are, are so important right mm-hmm. uh, um and you know if you have to do a you have to go to school for more years and you have to study more in order to become a doctor then clearly you must be of more value to society than someone who spent uh less time in school or has a more generalized credential right Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so I, you know, I, I think that, uh, these I- ideas of, um, the value of a, a job being linked to, uh, being linked to, uh, the, 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 you know, the, these credentials and, and how, not not necessarily how necessary the job is for society, but simply uh, how sort of rare or prestigious that job is um, yep. in, in public perception uh, is what fuels that, uh, you know, like the prestige of, of these professions, uh, right? right? You know, it's like, for example, in... Uh, in the United States, like we actually have like a, a shortage of of uh, like truck drivers, because like during the mm-hmm. pandemic, a lot of people couldn't uh, maintain their their truck driving um, jobs, and then they they like sold their trucks and and found other jobs, right? And like COVID nineteen yeah. test facilities and stuff. But then now that the economy is opening up again, there's like not enough trucks to to transport. You know all of the crazy amount of shipping that happens in the United States, right? Um, and so, you know, if you have this sort of perception where uh, certain professions are are more important than others, um, and you know, eventually you you suffer the consequences. Um, where you know, obviously that you, uh, a truck be, being a truck driver in the United States requires a certain level of credentials, right? Requires a certain level of of specialized knowledge, but there's also a lot of them. Right. Right? right there's a lot of them and so you know if you don't recognize the need for for people to do jobs at all levels of society then you know uh, 
you are missing out on the bigger picture. That that right. being said, though, that being said, though, uh, I think it is understandable why people see things this way. You know, partly because uh, mm-hmm. it's what people are told uh, to believe, right? Is what people are told is important. Um, to to return back to what you said about Asian cultures, um, mm-hmm. you know, and how how Asians believe, uh, how you think that that distinction is particularly visible in Asian cultures. Right, you you have you have you have to consider the the history of East Asia, right, and and the very fast industrialization of uh, of the East Asian societies after World War Two, right, and this idea Absolutely. of like if you if you don't conform to this, to to the if you don't conform to industrialization if you don't conform to these new ideas of of credentialism and and specialization, like you you would not be able to to make a living, right, and so. Right. Um, you know where where these Asian parents are coming from in terms of being unable to understand uh, the distinction between professional value and the value of specialization. Like you know, they they literally watch people lose their livelihoods because they did not they did not conform to that system, right? And so it's perfectly reasonable mm-hmm. that they uh, that they believe. Uh, in the value of that system right right or, or or that they they want their children to conform to it yeah i i think it's a really good point that you brought up um the whole concept of the whole notion of uh, specialization versus generalization because uh, not only is it appropriate uh for the medical field but like you said it, it can be applied to uh, a lot of different fields and a lot of different professions and it is a very appropriate topic to talk about and i'm sure in future episodes uh it's a theme that will be um coming back to every now and then we did we did really well um well anyways um we're we've reached i think the one hour mark and um i'm slowly gonna begin begin the end of this episode but uh, um i think it would be quite interesting for me to talk about uh, talk a little bit about you know medical school and my experience as a year one medic and um you know just have a a a conversation about what exactly goes on and you know how are the entry requirements and the, the whole process and what it was like um well i started my um medical school in September 2020 and soon I will be reaching one year in medical school and obviously a lot has changed um, in the way I approach my education uh, compared to high school Um, but firstly I I think it would be uh, quite interesting to talk about the entry requirements of the process at least for the UK Um, I'm not going to be too specific because um, I don't want this to sound like you know uh, a guide for medical students applying to the UK, but I'll just briefly run you through what goes on. So first of all, um, you need to have relatively good results in your um, you know your IB or your A levels or your AP programs, whatever you do in your um, in high school, 
and after that um, you take either one of two um, medical school entry tests which is either the ECAT or the DMAT and without going into specifics of each of them it is sort of a standardized test that is taken by every medical school applicant in the UK and which uh, test you take sort of determines which school you're gunning for because um, the UCAT is only uh, accepted by certain schools and the BMAT is accepted by certain schools. Um, studying for the UCAT probably was one of the most, uh, I, I would say it was one of the most stressful sort of um, uh, experiences that I've had to deal with in my life. But looking back now, I'm glad that I had to go through this because it definitely prepared me for what medical school had to offer. And just for context, whatever you study for in the UCAT is nothing that is covered in you know your biology, chemistry, or physics textbooks. It's If anything, it's very much uh, like an IQ test, um, much rather than you know uh, a, a test with content from your different subjects. So um, studying for that definitely um, was one of it's 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 because you can only take the UK if I if I remember correctly, um, you can only take it once during an admission cycle. So if you if you mess up your UK, then you're gonna have to wait another year to take it. So I definitely couldn't afford that because I'd already spent two years in the army. And I just really want to get into school as quickly as possible. So I remember uh, I would come back from training at night and I would sit down and grind UCAT questions um, until the day of the examination. And luckily, everything went well and I'm here right now. But um, other than the UCAT and your school results, you also have to take um, an interview or multiple interviews depending on the school you go to. And the interviews are usually either... Um, a traditional one which consists of a panel of um, interviewers asking you questions or it's um, an MMI which consists of eight to ten different stations um, where you sort of rotate to each station and they ask you you know a different question or ask you to play uh, or act out in a scenario and um, looking back now um, I, I, I always ask myself this question whether the you whether the exam that you take uh to get into medical school and whether the interviewers really do a good job of uh, of like sorting out the best applicants for medical school and you know i'm always conflicted as to whether it, it does a good job or you know whether it's something you can just uh, pass through if you really put your mind to it and uh personally in my opinion after interacting with different people in medical school, I think, you know, it's obviously not the best system out there because you have individuals who end up in medical school who are clearly only in it um, for the respect that they can gain or, you know, the sort of the guaranteed job security and they don't really care much about providing the best form of care to the patients um, that require it. But at the same time, you know, uh, there isn't a better system out there. And I don't think there's going to be uh, a better system out there anytime soon. So I guess it's the best we have for now. Um, 
overall, uh, you know, the the entry process was definitely a, sort of a hurdle in my life that I had to you know carefully navigate around. Um, but I feel like that whole process has sort of provided me with the clarity as to why I chose to do medicine in the first place, and um, as to um, why I want to pursue it, and what truly drives me towards it. And I think that um, this is the case for most medical schools around the world, even in the US. Um, but I think this sort of process actually allows people applying to, you know, truly understand the core uh, motivation for applying um, to do medicine. But anyways, enough about um, the admissions process. And I think it would be quite nice if I spoke a little bit about what medical school truly is like uh, on a day-to-day basis. And um, funnily enough, the whole of year one, I did it online. So most of my lectures um, happened online and they weren't even live lectures. They were just recordings of lectures um, done by lecturers in their home. And it was a, a little bit awkward because you, know, you, you don't really have the sort of classroom setting you would expect in university and uh, the sort of interaction between you and the professor. But either way, um, it was definitely, the sort of approach I take to uh, learning the content in medical school is very different from the sort of approach that I had to take um, back in high school because th- there's this um, analogy that people use um, in medical school and that is trying to learn everything in medical school is trying to drink out of a, a fire hose because there's just so much content and there's not enough time that you're going to have to sort of learn where you're going to have to prioritize, um, uh, you know, certain pieces of information and drop other pieces of information. And I know by saying this, it almost makes it seem like, um, you know, <laughs> medical students just gamble on which topics are going to show up in the exam, but that's not the case. It's more of, um, you know, making an intelligent decision as to whether something is worth spending time on or, you know, discarding and moving on. And I think, uh, that's a really good skill for you to have uh, because as a doctor, you're going to go through um, an insane amount of information in a short period of time. And when it comes to life or death situations, you're going to have to sort of um, decide what information is appropriate for you to use and what is redundant. Guys, you got any, any questions so far or uh, should I just carry on? Actually, can I ask you a question? Uh, Because, uh, because I think there's this conception that if uh, the application process of something is difficult or or the the requisites are difficult, the prerequisites are difficult, mm-hmm. um, then it will uh, it will like like better the quality of the applicants, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yeah. and so um, I, I you know I, I used to just sort of accept that until I, I went to the military and then I did command school. And it was like really difficult <laughs> and then i came out of command school and it's like oh there's all of these people who also did what i did but then yeah, yeah. are not interested in doing the job right yeah 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 um and so i sort of wanted to ask you about medical school medical school like do you think that 
um, the difficulty of application um, actually like sort of does a good job to make sure that uh, you know medical students are people who actually are uh, sort of invested in the profession and in the way that you think they should be or or do you think it's more of this idea of actually uh, you know maybe a, a method of maintaining maintaining uh, pre-existing uh, you know discrimination or something along those lines yeah yeah oh that's a really good um, a really good example that you brought up about command school because I remember when um, like when we found out when I found out that I was going to command school I was like oh yeah oh, I'm, uh, I'm hot shit you know for getting in and then I go into command school and I finish it and I come out and then I meet <laughs> I meet all these people <laughs> and I just, in, in the back of my head, I'm like, how do you even make it through? How do you even make it through those six months? But, um, and I'm sure you know the type of people I'm talking about, Caleb, but uh, anyways, um, as for the the entry entry requirements or the, the process, it is that it is difficult. And Personally, I think it is an attempt to sort of ensure the quality of people that are coming in or to ensure that the type of people are coming in are truly devoted um, to what they do. And I only say this because it's not just the grades that you're looking at because there are people that I know of who had stellar grades and they were at the top of their class. But when it came to you know, interviews, they had a hard time sort of um, articulating why they wanted to do medicine and they had a hard time sort of well, I don't want to say convincing, but sort of explaining to the interviewers as to why they were in, you know, were in the whole process of uh, trying to get uh, themselves into medical school. But with that being said, um, and like I said earlier, the people that I've met um, in medical school, you know, 90% of them are, I'm sure they're going to be excellent doctors, but there's this 10% that I almost every day, you know, question myself as to how they got in and what the hell did they say during the interviews for, for uh, the, uh, the interviewers to just consider them uh, fit for medical school. But Josh, what happens they... when you lie in this medical school interview? You just say something that you don't believe. Well, it's, it's really good that you brought that up, John, because... Um, I remember speaking to some people and they just straight up told me they lied about a lot of things in their uh, medical school interview and nobody, you know, nobody knew anything about it. So, for example, people would just lie about their work experience and there's no way you can, you know, I mean, obviously you could verify people's work experience by calling the place they claim to work at and sort of figuring out whether they truly did. Uh, their work experience there but there's so many applicants and the admissions process is already that stressful so I don't think people bother with it so I've heard of medical students um, you know uh, lying during the interview and they got away with it and and again this sort of brings me back to the point I'm trying to make um, that although they might have got past the first sort of uh, the first hurdle of um, you know uh, getting into medical school I think that these people will sort of be um, saved off as they progress to medical school because, you know, it is five years after all, and it's not just five years of education, it's five years of education followed by numerous years of training depending on what you decide to do. 
So at some point during this process, um, the people who truly don't uh, deserve to be in medical school, and by by truly don't deserve, I mean people who don't have the passion for it and don't have sort of the innate compassion that is required by people in the healthcare profession, sort of will just drop off. And, um, you know, there are so many exams and so many tests that we need to take that I personally believe that you know, the people who don't uh, truly want to be here are going to, you know, either not make it, or even if they do make it, they're not going to be excellent doctors. And when they, when that's the case, um, people are going to know about it, and that's going to affect them, their job, their reputation, and their ability as a doctor. Um, so you don't think that money or... Uh like status or status or 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 you know respect or are like enough motivations for people to go through med school well well personally i don't think that's the case but i'm sure it is a, a powerful uh motivator for people who are gunning for medical school but you know if if you really want some money or uh, status i think you could do it um <laughs> in so many different ways that is far easier than putting yourself through, you know, five plus years of medical school. And not to mention, putting yourself through medical school is expensive. So I, I could think of many, you know, different cheaper and uh, easier ways to get the, the, the things that you guys mentioned. But from um, the, yeah, sorry, just to cut in, Go from the it. perspective of a lot of the people, the, a lot of the people who are going to be going through medical school, medical school, though, from being, you know, from very credential backgrounds or prosperous backgrounds, that's that they don't see medical school in the same way as you do, right? Yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah, no, they don't see. I'm sure they don't see it the same way as uh, as I do. And you know, they're not wrong for uh, not seeing it that way. But I personally think that um, if you know, if you don't have the same sort of drive that um, most of the people have it's just not going to be beneficial for you in the future when you do your job because obviously you're going to be working insane hours you're going to be doing things that you've never done before and you're going to make decisions that could essentially you know either end up saving somebody or killing somebody and you know sure money and st- status is a, is, a, is a good motivator for um to, to put yourself through all of this but yeah if if that's solely what you see, um, it's you know if anything it's just disappointing. Then um, you know something that angers me. It's just disappointing that you would think that um, it's just that you know going to medical school is just an easy way to sort of get this. It's not easy, but just sort of a a, a path to you know money and status. My point is not necessarily to imply that, you know, either you have very sound uh, convictions of, of empathy and compassion or you are someone who only cares about status, right? But yeah, yeah. there's this, there's a huge gray area in the middle for people who, um, who, who, who recognize all of those things um, but are not really truly compassionate, right? It's, it's this idea of justifying... Um, the the status or the the objectives that you desire, 
uh, and justi- justifying them through uh, the sort of uh, social perspective of, of their compassionate uh, aspect, right? Is this idea of like, oh, oh, you know, you, you do political work or, or medical work or law, legal work, and and be yeah. and, and part of the whole reason that they have this status is because they are seen as as being uh, as providing a, a an essential uh, a benefit to society, right? But that doesn't right. imply right. that as an individual, when you go into it, that you are compassionate. It doesn't imply that you will do your job uh, in a way where that compassion is evident. Right. Right. That is very true. Yeah, I, I'm really glad that you brought up the, the whole notion of a gray area where, you know, it's not just, you know, somebody who's truly in it for compassion or somebody who's truly in it for money and status. But, you know, there are people who are in it for both of them. And, you know, after a certain point, I feel like the motivations that you initially had are definitely going to change. And it may change for the better or for worse, depending on how you see it. but at the end of the day, as long as you're constant and you can provide a certain level of service that not only sort of meets the expectations, but surpasses the expectations of what people have of you and for you, I think you're doing a good enough job. So, you know, like the only reason as to why I bring up motivations right now is because that's something I strongly feel about. But in the future, five years from now, six years from now, when I'm actually practicing as a doctor, I couldn't care less if the person next to me, you know, is motivated uh, to do uh, what he's doing because he's truly compassionate or because he, you know, wants to be perceived um, as a high standing member of society. But as long as he can do his job, that's all that's, um, that's what I would want from him, you know, because at the end of the day, as long as you can provide the care that you've promised to your patients, you're fulfilling your duty as a as a doctor, a nurse, or a healthcare worker, uh, and that's all that matters, truly. But um, you know, it, it's definitely complex, uh, and it's 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 not as um, you know, it's, it's not as uh, easy as saying it's either this or that. It's definitely, like you said, you know, there's a gray area. But um, you know, th- with that being said. Um, and, you know, I've said this in the past, uh, passion, you know, as long as you have a passion for something and as long as that passion drives you to be the best version of yourself. And as a result, you know, by being the best version of yourself, you're going to do the best job that you can. That's all that matters. And I think it is very appropriate for members of the healthcare profession because you have to have a passion for what you're doing, no matter how you get that passion. I don't really care uh, and I don't really want to know either. But as long as that passion drives you to be somebody who's providing the best quality care to your patients, that's all that matters. And um, I think another uh, thing that is worth mentioning before we wrap up this episode is there are going to be times where you're going to question yourself for, you know, going through this journey. And there are going to be times where you're going to ask yourself as to why you even decided to do it in the first place. I've, I've already done that multiple times and I've only, 
you know, finish year one. I've asked myself as to whether what I'm doing is worth it, whether, you know, all this effort I'm put, putting in now is going to even be remotely beneficial. Whatever I'm learning in my textbooks now, is it even going to apply to the patients I treat in the future? And simply, the, I mean, the simple answer to all of that is, you know, as long as you have a clear goal in your mind and a clear vision, it doesn't matter how you do it or it doesn't matter what you do, but as long as you're driven towards that goal, that's truly, truly the only thing that really matters. And that's what should be your, you know, your core motivation to, to just proceed um, relentlessly towards that goal, towards excellence. Um, so with that being said, you know, I think, um, there isn't anything else that I really want to talk about. Obviously, um, this episode was sort of focused on primary healthcare, primary healthcare providers. Um, there is definitely a lot that I want to talk about when it comes to, you know, pharmaceutical companies, drug companies, the whole um the whole world of drugs in fact medical you know recreational those kind of things but um that is something that i would love to do in the future in another episode but uh as for now i'm really happy with the way um we've approached this episode and i'm really happy with the, the discussions that we've had um caleb john do you guys have anything else that you'd like to add or say? Um, I, I think it was a, a great opportunity for you to sort of uh, ex- explain your sort of background to, to your perspective in the in the medical field and uh, for us to get, gain some context from your uh, experience in, 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 in that field um, and also right. to, to lay some uh, foundation for uh, the conversations we have in the future about um, the the medical field and, and its related aspects. Um, right. Yeah, uh, I think we we have multiple episodes in the works um, uh, related or at least tangentially related to to healthcare. Um, uh, I I know you want to talk more about uh, things like the the higher healthcare structure. Um, and uh, and uh, and you know, currently I'm uh, doing a lot of research on my own on uh, opium and opioids, uh, sort of Ooh. in some relation to uh, Afghanistan, uh, considering the uh, the the recent events in Afghanistan. Um, but you know, it, that has led me to a lot of reading on um, the opioid epidemic in the United States and. Uh, and all of its implications for the the pharmaceutical industry and and uh, and even primary healthcare, um, and so uh, I'll be happy to to be able to share some of that research and talk about those things in a in a later episode. Um, I think I don't know if I necessarily want to do it yet, but uh, eventually we will. Um, We'll do an episode on, on COVID-19 and discuss 
um, mm, yeah. we'll discuss the the its impact and also the information about it um, in in retrospect as as better information comes out um, afterwards um, and uh, I I will be doing more reading on on stuff like that. It is so hard to find good good research material on COVID nineteen, um, but that will be coming eventually. Um, so yeah. Uh, uh, more, more to look forward to. Um, yeah. Really quickly, uh, before I before John uh, talks, um, when I was drafting the outline for this episode, there there were there was a lot of um, sort of subtopics and topics related to COVID nineteen. Um, the only reason as to why I didn't, you know, um, talk about it in this episode is because. I felt like you know, it could be an episode on its own and it's something that requires a great deal of discussion so I don't think we could have fit it in this episode but um, as Caleb said uh, I do hope we have an episode on COVID-19 I do really hope we decide to uh, go through with it because there's so much to talk about uh, it's so interesting and um, it, it is very relevant to us in this day and time but um that being said, um, if there's anything that the listeners take away uh, from this episode is that I hope that all of you um, sort of got an appreciation for the way healthcare has evolved, the way healthcare differs in different cultures, um, and sort of the different roles that exist within the field of healthcare and how they are essential um, for the propagation of healthcare and the, the running of various systems within the field of healthcare. So, with that being said, um, I think this is the end of uh, this episode, and uh, I hope that we have more discussions like this in the future. And uh, I hope to see you guys soon.